on a positive note, have you seen the Grinchman? Yeah, it's gonna be a good night, you know? Nathan, the best man. I know, it's so exciting. She liked that ring before spring thing. She nailed it. Like, good guy, beautiful big ring. Ugh. I know. She's like never gonna have to worry about anything. You know the flower girl? Yeah, what about her? I just like am really afraid she's gonna freak out. And you know her parents, they're not gonna do anything about it. I know. Do you remember when she was in Melissa's wedding? It really, it does not look that bad. It doesn't. No. Your hair looks great. Yeah, it's like kind of like Shirley Temple. Oh, yeah, the pearls are beautiful. We can fix it. We can, like, maybe cut a little bit of it. Oh, and, Yeah, yeah, and it would be perfect. Good. Good. Listen, I know sometimes when it rains, everyone gets a little docile. So if you notice your neighbor getting a little docile, a little too settled, you just poke him, man. Just like in Jesus' name, give him some Holy Spirit shove, okay? We're so glad that you're here today. We're in week two of our series called Sweet Emotions. So if you have your Bible, turn to the book of Ephesians chapter four. We're going to be in Ephesians four today. And uh, for, as you're turning there, let me just kind of recap you on what we talked about last week. Last week was such an amazing week. If you missed the message, I encourage you to go back and watch it. Uh, so many great things that we learned, so many great truths that we needed to hear. And uh, I, I think I just want, these are things that I think are so important. Number one, we need to take our emotions captive so that we will not be captivated by our emotions. And one of the things that we talked about is uh, Paul said, hey, listen, you got to get your mind straight. You got to understand you're going to have these thoughts and you're going to have these emotions. And if you don't learn to take them captive, they will literally take your life captive. You know, emotions, I mean, they're tricky. I mean, they're complicated and they're tricky. I mean, they're really, really tricky. Think about it. I mean, emotions are more tricky than Run DMC trying to rock a rhyme that's right on time. Tricky. All the time. And, and I deal with that in my mind. I'm like, why do I feel this way? Okay. I mean, and, and they're complicated. I mean, they're more complicated than Hillary Clinton trying to order at Chipotle. And I look at my life sometimes and I go, why do I feel this way? Why do I struggle with this emotion? And, and what do I do with these feelings? And so we got to take them captive. Second thing we learned is this, our life situations, no matter what they are, good or bad, our life situations do not control my emotions, my beliefs control my emotions. We want to say, well, I am this way because this is what happened to me. The truth is it came through the filter of your belief system. And that's where your thoughts and your emotions and your actions come from. And then the third thing, we must break the cycle. If we're ever going to be free of, of having our emotions take us captive, we got to break the cycle. We got to call it out. We got to realize what came out of us emotionally is really what's inside of us. And so if we don't like it, it's like, but that's what's inside of me. Something's wrong there. And then we got to break the cycle. We got to run to God. We got to agree what God says about it. And then we begin to walk in freedom. 
How do we walk in that freedom? We said we must uh, identify the lie. We must confess it, realize, hey, man, this isn't true. Then we got to reject it, and then we have to replace it. So it's not just enough to reject the lie that we struggle with emotionally, but we got to make sure we replace it with the right thing. Now think about this. If all of that is true, and it is, I mean, we saw in God's word how true it is. Paul said, take every thought captive. Make sure that you take every emotion captive. You've got to do that. If that's true, then here's where we are today. How do we change our false beliefs? How do we change them? How do we change the false beliefs that we deal with? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. You know, here's something that I just think is so funny. Have you noticed in the last five years that people taking selfies have kind of gotten out of hand a little bit? I mean, I I like the idea. I think it's great if you're with someone you love, like your spouse or your girlfriend or whatever, and you take a, a picture at a great restaurant, but it just seems like Selfies sometimes go bad, okay? I, I want to illustrate this for you real quick. I found some of these online this week. Here's a selfie that's gone bad. Look at this first photo, if you would. This guy's probably breaking in a house. <laughs> He's going to post a selfie of himself and put it out for his friends to see and the police, okay? That's just kind of weird. Look at the next selfie real quick. This one just kind of gets me, okay? So here's how I see this playing down. She's at the zoo, and she says, Hey, Mike, what day is it, Mike? It's Wednesday. What day is it? And Mike says, I'll show you, Selfie. Okay, he literally bites her head off. The third one, I think, is quite telling. Hey, guys, we wrecked the plane. We are now in the water, and my seat is a flotation device. But I'm going to stop and take a selfie because I want you to know I was here. I was here. Okay, and then the last one. This one kind of grabs me a little bit. Baseball game, foul ball. Hey, look out. Oh, she used to be beautiful. And then she got hit by a baseball, okay? That's one of those selfies that you look back on and you go, sometimes you just have no idea what's coming towards you in your life, okay? Selfies can go bad. In fact, you know, I started thinking about this. I mean, like, how crazy is it that someone literally, like, in church, literally wants to, like, create a selfie like this? Oh, that's funny. I don't care who you are. The truth is, we love selfies. Have you ever thought about this? Why do we take selfies? What do they tell us about ourselves? Is it just that technology is getting better? Or could it be that in our desire to take selfies, because like I said, I don't think they're bad, unless they are bad. I think, though, it does tell us something about ourselves. Why do we take selfies? Here's why. To create an image of ourselves that we think is worthy and share it with others to gain their approval. Isn't that the truth? We want to see ourselves in an image of the way we want to see ourselves. We want to capture that image, and then we want to put that image before somebody else and say, like me. Today, when we talk about emotions, we realize that The problem is not our ability to take selfies. The problem is, is we spend most of our lives trying to find ourselves. And we try to find ourselves in so many different ways. And the problem is not how good we can take a photo. The problem is many times we don't even know who we really are. I thought about it this way. We love selfies, but we struggle to find our true self. Who am I? Really? I know the image I want to create for you. 
I know how I want you to see me, but how different would my emotions be in my emotional life if instead I worried less about what you see in me and I see what God sees in me? How different would that be? I mean, I kind of look at selfies, they're kind of like a motif for our lives. A motif is something you see in a movie where there may be something happen, and at the same time, there's another action happening, and it's trying to tell a bigger story. I mean, think about it. We take shot after shot, we make edit after edit, we apply filter after filter, all in attempt to try to create an image worth sharing with others in order to gain their approval and feel good about ourselves. You go, dang, I didn't realize I was coming to church today to hear about my struggle with selfies. No, here's the problem. Selfies are not the problem. The problem is, is we spend and we waste most of our lives trying to find our true selves. And God says, I don't want you to waste your life that way. I want you to have a very vivid picture of who you are. And I want you to learn to operate in that. And I want you to forever end the question, who am I really? Who am I? Think about it this way. Last year in America, Americans bought $550 million worth of self-help books, all in an attempt to find themselves. I mean, it's no lie. You can go to a bookstore, you can look on Amazon, and some of the best-selling books on the New York bestseller list are books about self-help, how I can't improve myself. And I look at it sometimes and I go, Wow, I wonder, I wonder how that plays in and plays with my emotions. Here's what I know. Our emotions are attached to our view of self. They are. Our emotions are attached to our view of self. The way that you and I see ourselves, our emotions attach to that, and we begin to operate in our life according to the view of our own selfie. Here's another thought. Our view of self is part of our belief system. If we are going to take life situations and try to get them to the right point where our emotions work for us and not against us, then we have to understand our view of self as part of our belief system. This is what I believe about the world. This is my view, and it comes through my view of myself first, my view of my life. I mean, think about it. When we see an image that we think is good, we post it. And when we see an image that's bad, we delete it. I started thinking about it this way. Can you imagine how over and over again we have to process that emotion of self over and over again and then we wonder sometimes why we struggle so deeply with depression or we're approval addicts or we want someone's liking in our life. Why? Because our view of self is part of our belief system. Think about all the struggles that come with that. I mean... Here's the thing, when it comes to to understanding our belief system and how do we change it, it's not like an easy ABC, one, two, three, you know, you do these six steps and you'll suddenly feel better about yourself. That's that's just putting ourselves back in self-help. But what if we begin to get a different viewpoint of ourselves? What if we find our true selves the way God sees us and not the way we see ourselves? Can you imagine how your emotions are different? Look at Ephesians 4. Paul's talking to the church at Ephesus. Ephesus was a group of people as believers that they were caught up in a lot of what the world was doing and a lot of what the world was thinking. Very influential church. And so 
Paul goes to them and he's trying to help them understand who they really are, how to find their true self, like how to really identify. He spends three chapters explaining to them how rich they are if they know God. Like if God's in their life, if Jesus is controlling their life, how rich they are. He spends all of chapter one identifying a long list of you are these things, this is who you are. And and chapter two and then chapter three and we get to chapter four and he says some very telling things to us that we need to see. So look at verse 17 of Ephesians four. He says, so I tell you this and insist on the Lord that you no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. And we're gonna break that out in just a minute. They're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, there's an emotional thought, they've given themselves over to sensuality as to indulge in every kind of impurity as they are full of greed. That, however, verse 20, is not the way of life you learned. When you heard about Christ, you were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus not ourselves, but in Jesus. He says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its evil desires and to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. I mean, think about all that Paul unpacked there. He begins by explaining a group of people known as Gentiles. And basically what he does is he lines up a list of, if you're not a follower of Christ, this is how your mindset probably is in your life. This is how you're going to see yourself. And the Gentiles were those who had rejected Jesus as the Messiah. They didn't believe Jesus was completely who he said he was. And so he kind of lists them as these people who their hearts are darkened. They have this insensitivity to their life. It's almost like their emotions have taken them captive, right? Paul begins to unpack that and he he makes a phrase here. He says that if they've never truly accepted Christ, that they live in the futility to your thinking. What does that word, that phrase futility to your thinking mean? It means that they live with empty thoughts. You know, I look at that in my life, and, and I remember before I gave my life to Jesus, I lived in a lot of futility of my thinking, and here's why. It seemed like I was so empty in my thoughts and my emotions that anything that came at me in life, I just put it in and tried to see if it would make me feel better. And we do the same thing in our lives. Paul said, listen, don't be like the Gentiles. Don't be like the non-believers because you're different than that. And here's what he was really saying. He was saying salvation brings a change to a person's thinking, not just their eternity. It's going to change the way they think. It's going to change the way they see the world. They're not tossed by every emotion or thought or feeling. Because let's all admit it. In every day of our life, how many times do we say the phrase, I feel like? How much does that rule the decisions we make? Paul said, no, no, no. Because of Jesus, you don't have to live in the emptiness of that thinking. You can be different than that. And Jesus changes us to become that. So in verse 20, he says, that's not the way of life you were learned. That's not the way of life you were taught. Means that this is not who you really are. This is not your true self. Remember what I said? We spent a lot of our lives trying to find ourselves. 
Paul said, I want to show you who you really are. See, here's what we need to understand about following Christ and being changed in the, the life that God wants to give us. Salvation is not about behavior modification. It's about position transformation. And that's what he was saying. He was saying in Jesus... You don't have to be like the Gentiles. You don't just have to be tossed by the waves. You don't have to have empty thinking and empty emotions and let everything kind of capture you. He says, because of Jesus, salvation brought to you a position transformation. Let me say it to you this way. I have a new relationship status with God. And when you look at the picture of my life, it's no longer me trying to fix the image. It's the fact that Jesus fixed the image I could never fix. That's a pretty cool thing when you think about it. Then it's no longer about behavior modification. It's about position transformation. I'm positionally right before God. So let me ask you this question. What happens if I do not possess this change? I mean, how different is our lives? You say, well, I know I'm a Christian. I know Jesus lives in my heart, but but I still kind of want to teeter between my old way of thinking, my old life, and then this new life that God has for me. Here's what happens. We will lose the true view of who we really are. We will. Instead of seeing the new self that God promises to us, we will spend most of our lives trying to find ourselves. And we will miss everything that God created in his image. You don't believe me? Watch this video. Looks closed off and fatter, sadder too. The second one looks more open, friendly, and 
to be more grateful of my natural beauty. It impacts the choices and friends that we make, the jobs we apply for, how we treat our children. It impacts everything. You couldn't be more critical to your happiness. Do you think you're more beautiful than you say? And we wonder how our view of self affects our emotions. You know, it's crazy. It was done by a soap company. And yet God wants us to see a better image than that. You know, Paul tells us, it's crazy. I, I watched that commercial over and over again, and I see the look in those women's face when they finally see the image that maybe they don't see. And how it transforms their thinking. That's what God wants us to do. He wants to transform and change our belief system so that we see our life the way he sees it. You know, Paul tells us a couple things here in the scripture that we need to get a hold of. First one is this. He says that I can put away my past. Verse 22, he says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put away your past. Did you hear that? He said, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put away your past. Some of us think that my past is my forever tattoo that I wear to remind people of who got a hold of me. That's not what Jesus says. He says that you and I can put away our past. Like, we don't fully get that. So this week I was thinking about it. I thought, how do we grasp that? Like, how do we live in that? Here, here, here's the thought. Some of you, you need to realize you just need to in sync that. You go, what? Bye, bye, bye. Okay, it needs to be gone. And quit living your life like your past to find your present because it doesn't. Paul said, when you see yourself the way he sees you, you can put away your past. Can I get an amen? I am not the prisoner of my past. Here's what I've learned. My past only serves to remind me how much I really needed Jesus and how I really didn't understand myself. You know how freeing that is? I can put away my past. That word there, he says, you were taught with regard to your former. That word taught means that I learned it through a personal encounter with Christ. Paul said, you can put away your past. Why? Because you've been taught. You had this personal encounter with Christ. And suddenly you realize that the view you once had about your past is different than the truth of what you now have. I can put away my past. It's gone. It's by. You know, I thought about this in a very simple way, but yet a very funny way this week. I mean, when I was in middle school and high school, I had a new girlfriend about every six to eight weeks. It was a crazy experience. It's like, I want to date her, her, and her, but I don't want to date her before Valentine's Day because that'll be expensive. And I'm going to break up with her before prom, okay, because I don't like the dress she'll pick out. And I'm like, you know, you think about all this, 
And here's what you do. You go back and, and you're like, wow, remember when I dated that person? Why did I ever ask her out? Why did, you know, how did we ever get connected? You, know, you look at all these little relationships you had in junior high and high school, and here's how crazy it is. Next month, I celebrate 24 years of marriage to Tracy. Can you imagine in my mind if I woke up and said, hmm, after 24 years of loving this woman and how she has changed my life and I have changed hers and God has changed us, how crazy would it be for me to look back to junior high and go, remember that girl I dated in eighth grade? (laughs) How futile is that thinking? I can put away my past. That's what Paul said. Put it away. It only serves to remind you how good Jesus really is to you. Number two, I need to receive a new attitude in my mind. Verse 23, he says, to be made new in the attitudes of your mind. That word attitude is powerful. It means that the spirit of God wants to come and give us an attitude adjustment. He wants us to change our way towards our emotions and our thinking. It means to have a different mental disposition. I can no longer look at my emotions and think that somehow they are the true register of my life. I have a new attitude toward my emotions. Why? Because Jesus and the Spirit of God gave me a brand new attitude. Not only reprogramming my mind, we talked about that last week. Remember Romans 12 too? We said, we need to be rewiring in our mind, not just reprogramming our mind, but truth that allows us to change our attitude. You see, here's what some of us don't understand about that. When Jesus saved us, he gave us this, this empowerful thought called grace. And we understand grace from the fact that I'm forgiven, like Jesus no longer holds it all against me. And what we fail to do is flip it over and realize the other side of the coin says, not only does he forgive me, but he empowers me and enables me to live a life I could never live. And that new attitude that Paul talks about right here is when you and I realize the enabling power of God's grace, not just the forgiving power of God's grace. We need to flip that coin because the Bible tells us in Proverbs 23, 7, it says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Not only can I put away my past, but I can have a whole new attitude. Why? Because God wants to not just reprogram my mind. He wants me to give a new attitude towards my thoughts. We begin to act on truth and not how we feel. How we feel becomes less relevant. What is true becomes more prominent. And he said that you've experienced this because you've had this experience with Christ and your past is put away and suddenly the truth dominates your life. Because you see who you really are. You know the third thing he tells us? Not only can I put away my past, not only can I have a new attitude, but I can choose to operate in the new self. I have a new self. You say, well, what happened to your old self? Well, it's still there. It's part of my old sin nature. But he says, hey, listen, I got more for you because I want you to live with these emotions and I want you to have emotions that operate out of the new self, not out of the old self. Can you imagine the impact that you and I could make if we begin to operate emotionally out of our new self? Can you imagine the people that we would be able to love the community we would be able to change, the family we would be able to lead, the relationship and marriages we would be able to have. 
We've got to put the past away. We've got to have our mind and our attitude change towards our thoughts and our emotions. And then we can choose to operate in the new self. He says, put on the new self. Put on the new self. In other words, there's some action required, okay? It's like waking up on Christmas morning and you pull out your child's gift and you realize it says some assembly required. Some of you go, I'd rather pay the 30 bucks and have them put it together at the store, okay? I know you, I get you. But Paul said, listen, you've got to put on the new self. I kind of liken it to this. You know, we're in the NBA uh, playoffs right now. And, and it's kind of like if you're a player for New York, all of a sudden you get a call from your agent and, and your agent says, hey, guess what? I've got good news and bad news. The good news is you're playing basketball. The bad news is you've been traded. And so the guy from New York realizes he's been traded to Orlando. And so he gets on a plane and he travels down to Orlando and he gets into Orlando and he gets ready to play. And he realizes, wait a minute, I can't wear the same jersey. So he pulls off the old jersey and he puts on the new jersey. Why? He's got a whole new identity. That's what Paul said. He said, put on the new self. The problem is we want to operate in the old self but live in the freedom of the new self. Paul said, that's not how it works. You're never really going to be free until you put on the new self. And listen, that's why some of us as believers in Christ were so confused. Why do I still let my feelings dominate me? Because you're trying to operate of two selves. Think of how confusing that is. I mean, how many of you on a daily basis have a conversation with yourself? How confusing is that? Should I go to church today? It's raining. I don't know. Should you go to church? I mean, it's like confusing in our lives. Paul said, don't live that way. I got something better for you. Put on the new self. I was thinking about this this week, and and how do we really unpack this? You see, there's a story in John 11 where Jesus healed a man named Lazarus. He literally brought him out of the grave. John 11 says that they came to him and said, hey, Lazarus is dead. Like he's in a tomb. Like he's, and and Jesus went to where Lazarus was and he brought him out of the grave. He rose him from, I mean, it's crazy. Think about it. Can you imagine Lazarus' friends? I mean, they're looking around going, bro, like you were dead. You know what the Bible says Jesus said when he brought Lazarus up? He said these words, take off his grave clothes. I mean, what does it matter? He's alive, right? (laughs) I mean, Jesus said, take off his grave clothes. Why? Because you and I struggle with the same thing. He's made us new. We've been changed. His grace is enabling and forgiving. We have all this power in our life. And he says, take off the grave clothes. Why? Because I got something better for you. See, here's what we need to do. We're called to take off the grave clothes and put on the grace clothes. The power, the forgiveness of all that God gives to us. Some of you look at your emotions and you're like, man, how do I change my belief system? Take off the grave clothes, start putting on the grace clothes. God has given you everything you need to live in the new self. Operate in it. Operate in it. But it starts with saying, past, you're gone. It's over. I mean, think about this. How different would we feel our emotions if we really grasped this? So I, I want to help you understand this a little bit better. You know, I, I told you that we don't always see ourselves. We, we, we spend a lot of time trying to find ourselves. 
But then when we see the true self, sometimes we don't fully operate in it. So I want to help illustrate this to you. If you go back to Ephesians chapter 1, I think with about verse 10, verse 13, Paul begins to unpack for them who they really are. He said, this is your true selfie. This is your real selfie. This is who you are. This is the image that you can't cut, paste, create, whatever. This is how I made you. So what does he say to us? Here's what he says. First and foremost, we feel cursed. I feel like my life is cursed. Feel like I can't do anything. Feel like I'm going nowhere. No, no, no. He says in verse 13, we are blessed. So then he comes over here and he said, well, man, I kind of feel this way. I feel like all my friends reject me. No, no, no. According to uh, the first couple of verses there in one, he says, no, I chose you. So then we come over here and we say, but Sean, man, my feelings, like I've done so many bad things. I feel impure. Yeah, God says, I understand that. I understand that. That's why I sent my son and I made you holy. <laughs> so then you go, okay, I got you now. Like, I totally understand what you're doing now. You're like flipping these charts over because you want me to get the picture. Yeah, because some of you came in this room and this is your life. You feel so guilty. You feel so dirty. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You don't understand. And me, you are blameless. So we come over here and we say, wait a minute. My life is so random. God really doesn't have a plan for me. And you go, whoa, 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 wait a minute. According to Ephesians 1, he says he predestined me. He knit me together in my mom's womb. You say, well, I get that. I understand that. But, you know, what about this other stuff I deal with in my life? Because in my life, I feel like an orphan. Somebody left me. My mom walked out when I was four. My dad left when I was eight. My friends left me. Now, here's what he says about us. He says in Ephesians 1, <laughs> you and I, we are sons and daughters. So you go, well, man, I got all these other feelings. I feel abandoned. <laughs> he says in Ephesians 1, we've been redeemed. You know what the word redeem means? He bought us back. He went out and found us. And he bought us back. But I feel, but this is true. So then you go over here and you say, well, I don't feel so much abandoned, but I sure do feel condemned because, you know, I feel bad about all the things I've done in my life. And he says, I understand that. He says, because I tell you in Ephesians 1, you are forgiven. And so you look over here and you're like, I feel unimportant. He tells us in Ephesians 1, he says, hey, listen, you don't feel unimportant because I have marked you by my Holy Spirit. I marked you. I did all these things in your life and it doesn't matter how you feel anymore. Listen, how you feel anymore doesn't really matter. I mean, look at all this. So, so here's what we do. We live our lives with no purpose and we allow all of the world to tell us who we are and all the images and all of our view of self that's so, so wrong. And he says, you feel like you have no purpose? I tell you, you have an inheritance. I think there are some of you today, you wish you could do that with your emotions. God says, this is who you are. I want you to learn to operate in this. This is your true self. 
This is who I made you to be. I mean, I think it's just 10 verses in Ephesians. But that's who you are. If you're in him. See, here's the challenge. To walk in a new self, we must be first made new. And until we're made new in Jesus, we can't operate in our true self. We can't operate in the new self. Jesus, that's the reason he wants to make us new. I think we said this on Easter weekend, Savior, but as boss, like Lord, like I want you to own me, Jesus. And I want you to help me see myself the way you see me. Jesus, thank you for coming into my life today. And from this day forward, I want to follow you. Thank you for saving me.